I'm Kimberly Hayes Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the first season of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Full disclosure, we are Southern. We are. You might hear y'all. It happens. This season is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Grant Writing USA. Grant Writing USA delivers training programs across America that dramatically enhance performance in the areas of grant writing, grants management, and grantmaker research. They have coached, trained, and consulted for nearly 15,000 top-ranked organizations and more than 25,000 individual achievers from every imaginable domain. Leaders of government, philanthropists, academics, outstanding nonprofit managers, top-performing staffers, everyday heroes another full disclosure (laughs) when we're not entertaining you we hope with our podcasting adventures we are trainers for grant writing usa at the end of this podcast and throughout season one we will be sure to let you know about upcoming offers at grant writing usa just for our listeners of fundraising heyday so what are we talking about today kimberly well girl today we're talking about what could be a sad topic for those who really enjoy the writing portion of grants I'd like to issue a a trigger warning (laughs) at this time. For those who hold the art of writing so very near and dear, our topic today is budgets. You've got to love our high quality (laughs) sound effects. You can craft the most elegant and compelling stories and narrative for a grant, but if your numbers don't add up or make sense, all those words mean nothing. As a writer and avid reader, I'm here to tell you it's true, sadly. But fear not, you can tell stories with budgets too. Let's talk about how, starting now. Before we even delve into it, I'd like to say too, I know many a grant reviewer who have told me that the first place they start, they don't start at the beginning of your Mm -hmm. application, they go straight to the budget because the budget tells so much about what you're going to do. So being good at budgets is also very important hear that. So let's talk about two main definitions of budgets when it comes to the grant world. First of all, you have your organizational budget. So this is your yearly or annually approved budget. It drives everything you do. It talks about the salaries you're paying people, all the activities and supplies and equipment and just everything your organization is going to pay for over the course of the year to drive your mission, to do do all of those things. And so a lot of times grants will ask about your organizational budget. So you definitely need to know the ins announce of that. If you don't have a line item budget for your organization, either on your desk or online somewhere, go get it. Go get one. That's very important to have. And one thing I would point out too about organizational budgets, especially if you're writing for a larger organizations, sometimes you may want to talk about your whole organizational budget, but sometimes you may only want to talk about maybe a departmental budget Mm -hmm. as well. Because I know sometimes I've written grants for fire departments. And when we talk about the fire department needs, they don't have access to our entire budget. They just have access to the fire department's portion of the budget. And so sometimes I may reference both or be more focused on that. But um, just know there's a couple of different ways you can talk about organizationally what your budget is. That's true. If you work for a small nonprofit, chances are you will be able to easily access your entire organizational budget that should be approved by your board annually before the start of each fiscal year. But if you work for a large university, that may or may not be information that's readily available, or it may be at a super high level with, and the line items are very, very general. Yes, exactly. Just something to keep in mind. 
Okay, so that's so first off, you have that organizational budget. The other aspect of budgeting when it comes to grant writing is your program or your project budget. So this is all of the costs and expenses that are related to that grant request. Basically, everything you need to implement that funding. You usually develop this with your staff before or during the grant writing process. And this is our focus of today. And I will tell you, when it comes to grant writing, although I no matter whether I'm working for someplace full-time or whether I'm a consultant coming in, I do the majority of the work on that grant application, but budgets is one place that I really push back on the program people because Mm -hmm. I don't know what you need to implement your feeding of the hungry program. Your after-school program. Yes, or your, hey, we want to do a fire safety education program. Awesome. I love that idea, but I have, what do you need? How much staff time does it take? What are the stuff? And, oh man, when... When it comes to public safety, the equipment they need, they start, it's expensive and they're starting to talk about things that I don't even know what it is. So (laughs) you do not want me to be the one figuring out how much this thing costs. So definitely budgets is something that's a group effort um, to make sure that you truly are figuring out everything you need and you've come up with accurate costs. So when you're thinking about coming up with that budget, when you're thinking about coming up with that grant application, I urge you to go ahead and do the budget part first, even though that doesn't come first on the grant application itself. In fact, Amanda and I often find ourselves working backwards in a way. We'll go to those kinds of budgets or extra attachments, document requests that may take a little bit to track down and budgets and organizational budgets, Mm -hmm. and then work our way backwards from there. It's counterintuitive maybe, but it really gets the job done. I tend to think of it as 80% of my time spent working on a grant is not actually writing. Yeah, It's the gathering of things. So the mm-hmm. thing that we are gathering today would be budgets for the specific program or project for yes. which you are seeking grant money. So just do it first and really get an idea of what all the costs are. Now, you can be helpful in that sense by pushing gently on program staff to (laughs) realize their full costs. Yeah. And I think you're right. The budget does drive so much. You know, I don't know if we've talked about this before or not, but an entire application, it needs to be this perfect lineal story where everything just flows and connects. And and so your budget drives so much of Mm -hmm. your methodology when you talk about the program you're doing, when you're talking about your needs, you know, if you, if part of your need statement is people don't have access to things, so maybe you need to provide transportation. So there should be a transportation element in your budget. So everything to just fit together, because if it doesn't, then you've got this disjointed thing. So figuring out your budget at the outset helps drive a lot of the other pieces of your application. Amanda's right, as usual. I try. (laughs) So a good example of this is a library system in the metro Atlanta area Okay. that shall go nameless, several years ago had, uh, I guess, what was it, a special election to add or a percentage of tax to fund the construction of new libraries. Really needed, particularly in underserved areas. I happened to live in that county, so I was like, hey, yeah, love me some libraries, let's go. So someone there developed that budget to determine how much building five new libraries would cost, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly what happened, but somewhere along the line in building that program and project budget, I don't think they included the 
money needed to pay all the staff to work in those libraries. So so they only thought about the actual building, not what was going to happen once it was done. Okay. I, again, <laughs> a full disclosure, because I spend a lot of time in this podcast giving full disclosures. I'd I don't. I wasn't there on yes. the budget process. I wasn't involved as a grant writer. I mm-hmm. was just a concerned citizen. Yes. And this concerned citizen was like, "Y'all, really? You know, you got to have people, librarians, if you're going to have you a library, have books, unless it was some sort of like brand new, like Tesla, Google automated, <laughs> self-driving library, which, which it wasn't. So, again, there could be other things going on that I just don't know about. But as a public person, a citizen, a, a citizen yes. looking on to this, I was like, hmm, that's a good lesson. And when you're building the program or project budget, be sure to include the total cost of the program, even if you're not requesting all those total costs from that one specific funder. And oftentimes you may not be, particularly if it's not a federal or state grant, you may be looking to multiple funders to fund that program, but you still need to tell them the total picture so they, like me as a concerned citizen, would be like, oh, I see that you want to have safe uh, and healthy snacks, whatever a safe snack is. I'm not even sure, but safe and healthy snacks in your after-school program. I know it's not candy. It's probably not candy. (laughs) Darn. But you don't have anyone in the budget to distribute those snacks. Are the children mm-hmm. just going to, is it going to be like Lord of the Flies? They're going to come in <laughs> and like stage epic fights over the snacks. I'm not really sure. As someone who's been in an elementary school lately, uh, yeah, that kind of probably is how it would go if we it's didn't probably, have any yeah, sort of organization. Probably how it's going to go down. So oh. you as the grant writer can be that person to say, hey, let's make sure we've covered all the costs for this program. Yes. And, and, and again, the best time to start doing that in an ideal perfect world is at the beginning of the new fiscal year. And if you're not familiar what fiscal years are, it's just a, the year, the operating year of yes. a given organization, which for reasons I don't understand, <laughs> rarely start in January. I just I just know it is. I don't know the yeah. why. There are a few that start in January, but July Very 1, good. September 1, and October 1 seem to be some starting dates for a fiscal year. Who knows? Yeah. So at the start of that fiscal year, whenever yes. it may be, if you have sort of standing programs, programs and projects that are ongoing that already have budgets or need to work with budgets, then that's a great time to make sure that you as the grant writer or the grant writing consultant get a copy of that. Yes. And you can pull from that and then work with the program staff and leadership to form more specific budgets if, if it's a very large program and you're seeking grant funding for a piece yeah. of it. Yep. Yeah. And I found also finance and HR staff can help with budget oh, yes. stuff as well because they, they know how much things cost. They know staffing costs. They know fringe benefits costs, you know, things that I, I have no idea. Like when I've worked places, like I knew I got health insurance. Could I tell you how much the city <laughs> paid for me to have said health insurance? Absolutely not. But it I know they magic. put stuff. It was magic. It was. Payroll magic. I love it. So, yeah, lots of lots of places, your program people, your HR, your finance, just anybody who deals with purchasing can really help with figuring out the cost of things. And I would say that if there is major pushback on people sharing that information with you, which mm-hmm. I have heard happening, particularly if an organization's new to grants. Yeah. You know, just let's go get some chocolate. Let's sit around the table, make new friends and say, look, 
y'all want me to bring in grants. This is the kind of information that is required. Yeah. I don't need to get all up into Sally Sue program director's medical benefits down to did she go for dental or not. Yeah. I need to know salaries and benefits. Yes. At the very least, I need to know what a position, what the average salary is. Absolutely. And, and I need to know if your benefits are maybe calculated at 23.5%. I do need to know that. Yes. Or we don't need to be writing grants. Help me help mm-hmm. you. Good phrase mm-hmm. there. Let's all work um, together. One other example about not forgetting things, you know, staffing is a huge thing. But I'd also say be careful on the little things as well, too, because I had a lady in class once when we go over budgets um, in the Grant Writing USA class. Um, I usually build a budget together. We go through a sample. And one of the things I always talk about is travel, that that can be an easy place to forget things because you're like, you know, you it's very easy to remember, OK, they're going to a training and it's, you know, it's in another state. So we're going to need to fly them there and they're going to need a hotel and they're going to need a car. OK, well. They, they also need to eat and, you know, the car is probably... What Theoretically. About, what about parking? And then mm. you got to refill that tank in that mm-hmm. car. And um, But the funniest thing ever, I had a lady once who, I forget, she was going somewhere. Let's just say Timbuktu for the sake of this story. Let's. She was going there for like a month to do like this archaeological dig on a grant, which sounded really cool to me. Um, but she's like, when they booked and figured out cost of things, they figured out the cost of my flight. She goes, but, you know, most airlines charge extra to check bags. She's like, hello, I'm gone for a month. I'm, I'm not I'm not bringing my little tiny wheelie suitcase oh on with me. And not only that, she's like, well, I was there. I had to do laundry. And she goes, these are things that the grant would have paid for, but no one even oh, thought about it. Oh, they didn't put it. it in there. And again, not that those, I mean, that's like, you know, $100. It's not a huge expense. But my thought is if the grant's going to pay for it, it can pay for it and you need it. Let's ask the grant to pay for it. Let's do it. So, because otherwise you've got to figure out where out of your own budget that comes from. And you can't come back after the fact once the grant's been awarded and it's like, oh, my gosh, we forgot to ask for $600 for laundry in Timbuktu. Yes. Because it's probably real expensive I to wash your is. clothes there. And um, the they're not going to go, oh, oh, sure, okay, Amanda and Kimberly, we're th- honey, that's okay. Here's the money. No one, no one's no. ever going to do that, okay? Mm-mm. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so speaking of putting budgets together, if you do happen to have that first of the fiscal year budget planned out. That is great. If you're like a lot of places, you may not have that information or the form that the grant application is sending you to use for the budget has little or no bearing in the actual reality of what (laughs) your budget looks like. Like they may condense things. Mm -hmm. Um, Your line item budget for your programmer project may have split out things like telecommunications and utilities and supplies and travel and printing and postage. But maybe this form that the grant maker wants you to use has collapsed a lot of those. Mm -hmm. So again, get you some chocolate or find out what your finance team (laughs) likes. It's always worked for me in the past to when I first get that application and realize that, yes, we are going to go and we're going to do this. A lot of times I'll pull the financials first. I'll visit with the finance team and I'll ask them to either help me do it or Mm -hmm. do it. Because I explain, hey, this is taking a lot of your very carefully planned out line items and condensing them. And I want to make sure that I'm putting things 
in the order that makes sense to you in case we're ever called upon to explain the budget and how we arrived at these numbers. So that's usually been a successful strategy in the past. At least I've gotten at the very least, guidance on how to collapse those categories so that I can explain it if there's a site visit, but so that all of our expenses are recorded so we don't have the Timbuktu laundry incident exactly. to think about. Well, and I think it helps too. A lot of grant makers, especially on the federal side of things, they will give you a definition of each category, like what they mean. So mm-hmm. it makes sense what belongs where. Um, and I've tried to keep, because I, I, it's kind of like a crossover. You're, you're taking your budget and you're trying to crosswalk it over to where it belongs on their budget. And I usually take a lot of notes when I do that. I've learned don't throw those notes don't away because away. next year, if you're trying to remember what you did, you're not going to remember a year from now. So <laughs> I don't remember breakfast. I know, exactly. So that can be helpful, too, when you're taking stuff from your documents to the grant maker forms. Because trust me, when they give you a form, use their form. Yeah. They really want you to. Yeah. Um, and it just makes everybody happy. And in the end, even if your finance team is able and willing to complete all of the financial documentation on a particular grant, you're still driving that report car and that grant car. It is on you to work in advance with the team. Make sure they have enough time to help you get that application in on time. Absolutely. And something that could possibly hold up an application, and particularly in the budget area, is if you and your organization or your client don't have a firm grasp of indirect costs and how to use them. So our friend Amanda is here to help you through that. Indirect costs is one of those moments where I feel like we definitely need a dun-dun-dun oh, okay, going. Kimberly's got it. Dun-dun-dun. Right. Yeah. I will say that indirect cost is a beautiful thing because what it is, it will help you pay for all of those overhead kind of operating expenses that most grants will not allow you to pay for. It's very, 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 very rare. Is it very rare? Very, super very rare. (laughs) Is that super very? There we go. And on the corporate and foundation side, there are a handful of grants that will pay for operating expenses. Yeah, there are a few. There's a few, but that's... That's not the norm. Normally, no. they're like, no, we want to pay, pay direct program costs. And I don't care how much you argue that, hey, I can't do my program in my building if I don't have lights and if I don't have heat Preach. in the wintertime and if I don't have an executive director to manage things and accountants to handle all the budgeting things. Saying it. Yes. But funders just... They don't like to pay for that for whatever they, reason. They might believe that Keebler elves come out of the magic forest at <laughs> night, bake those cookies, and then go do your program. You know, for my you. theory is they like to be able to report like, "Hey, we served a hundred kids. Hey, we fed this many people." Saying, "Hey, we paid the light bill at the boys and girls club." Just Not as isn't sexy. sexy, is no. it? No, that's that's a pretty rare thing to get that. But on the federal side of grants, they have this thing called indirect cost, which helps you pay for all of those overhead operating type expenses. It's it's a nice thing. Now, there are currently two ways you can claim indirect costs. One way is the way that's been around for a long, long time, and it's a, it's a little more complicated, but you go to what's called your cognizant federal agency. As opposed to your federal agency who, that is not cognizant. Exactly. Got it. Um, but all that fancy word means is, who do you get the most federal money from? Is it the Department of Education, the Department of Justice, Health and Human Services, whoever it is, you go to them and say, hey, I would like to establish my indirect cost rate. They'll say, fabulous, fill out all of these forms. And mm-hmm. there's it's, it's like the biggest federal grant you've ever written, okay? <laughs> and you're documenting over the course of your fiscal year what your light bill, your heating bill, your mortgage, your all the salaries. I'll just c- can think about all the people that are necessary to make your whole organization run, but they're not necessarily doing 
a direct program. Like right? receptionists. Um, yes. Uh, people who, if you have a big place, people who are running the copy machine, the copy machine itself. Yes, all, these, all things. these things. Okay, so you'll document all of this stuff. There'll probably be a lot of back and forth. It could take a while the first time. But then they're going to come back and say, congratulations, your indirect cost rate is 12% or 15% or depending on what it is. And I will tell you, probably most local governments, smaller nonprofits, K through 12 school systems, you're probably going to get between eight and 15 is a pretty typical. I've heard from most people, maybe a little bit more. Then when you start getting into colleges and universities, hospitals, think tanks, I know the craziest I've ever heard there was um, when I taught in San Antonio, there was this Texas biomed, I'm probably totally butchering their name, but they do a lot of research with primates. And I mean, this, they they do a lot of stuff and they have a lot of fancy equipment Mm -hmm. and animals they're taking care of. And yeah, their indirect cost rate was 95%. Whoa, that's not normal. But because of who they were, and all the the, the P, everybody who worked there had like their PhD and they just had some, a lot of stuff. That's not normal though. Most of us, like I said, most of us, probably those of us listening to the podcast, we're going to be on the smaller scale. Yes. Hospitals, universities, probably a little bit more though. Again, it all just depends on what your indirect costs really are. Mm-hmm. But anyway, once you establish that rate, you'll get a piece of paper from them saying, yes, your indirect cost rate is 12%. And guess what? That's your indirect cost rate. You can claim it on all your federal grants. It doesn't matter if you get that indirect cost rate from the Department of Justice. It's not just for grants to them. It's grants to every other agency. USDA, EPA, DOJ. (laughs) All the letters of the alphabet. So that's one way you can establish that indirect cost rate. Another option, if you don't want to go through that rigmarole, you can just say, you know what? I want to claim the de minimis of 10%, which that is when the new super circular came out in 2015. That was a new thing that you had that option. So if you've never established an indirect cost rate with your cognizant agency before, you're allowed to just automatically claim 10%. So it's a nice thing because you don't have to go through that big process. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, since our percentage rate is probably not going to be much higher than 10%. It can be a, it's a thing. Mm -hmm. So you're allowed to do that. Um, So those are two ways. Now, once you have an indirect cost rate, then you also have the decision of whether or not you want to use it. Because, you know, just because you have an indirect cost rate doesn't mean you have to claim it on every grant. You you can not claim it at all, or you can claim a lesser amount. But why wouldn't you want to claim it? Isn't that like leaving money on the table, Amanda? Well, she said in a leading way. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, so um, the thing is, every grant's going to have a max amount of money you're allowed to get mm-hmm. that includes your indirect cost rate. So let's uh, say you've got a grant and you can apply for a million dollars, and you need a million dollars to make your program happen so for direct programming. So if you claim indirect, every penny you take on indirect is less money that goes to your direct programming. So it's a choice to make. It's also a choice too. even though you're allowed to claim your indirect and every federal agency is supposed to accept that not everybody's very excited about indirect. Again, it's one of those not sexy things because they're paying for your light bill. And so I know some people that are like, yeah, just certain funders, we just don't claim it because we know they don't like it. Even though we could, we just, we just don't. So it's kind of a I don't even know the right word. It, not not a guessing game, but it's just it's, it's a choice. It's a choice you yes. make. You don't yes. you don't have to 
in many cases, it could be the right thing to do, right? Especially if you were a smaller municipality or county and you didn't have a large prosperous tax base, you may, that money may be like, wow, we, we really need to have that. If you are a more prosperous, uh, municipal government or larger nonprofit and you have a big donor base, you the struggle to make sure you have enough general operating funding may not be as fierce. And yes. you may decide if you needed that million dollars for for two super duper fire trucks, I am so just making this up. Yeah. <laughs> then then if they, they both together cost a million dollars because you went to fire trucks are us and got a great deal mm-hmm. on these supersonic fire trucks. Then if you put in an extra hundred thousand dollars in indirect, you would have to find another way to finance that second truck. Yes. So it's just it's up to the agency making the request and your job as a grant professional or consultant or employee is to point that out yes. and then step back and yeah. let, let the powers them, that be make a decision. Decide, let them decide. Because either way, you know, the grant will yeah. get written. It's just how you develop that budget. Exactly. Because I've written at places that never once have claimed indirect. And then I also know some places that use it and, and make very good use of it. So it's yeah. it's a it's a nice tool that the federal government makes available for those who are seeking federal dollars through grants. So really, Amanda, what a lot of people may be thinking now is that if you're building a budget and let's say the ceiling was a million dollars. Okay. And your program really could run... For $800,000, you probably need to be thinking of an extra $200,000 to get up to the maximum. That's probably what people are thinking. Please don't do that. Yeah, you don't want to pad your budget, you know. And I, the way I take it, like a lot of people look at grants as a way to buy toys, meaning fun things that they can't never, their boss will never put in their budget because they're like, seriously, we don't absolutely need that to function. So no, thank you. Um, And so a lot of times grants are where they turn to to buy the fun toys. And I get it. I'm just um, rolling my eyes, but go. You can't, is, you can't yes. hear that. You, you can't hear that. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, you don't want to pad your budget because again, grant reviewers, whether they look at your budget first or later on, they're still going to look at it. And we know what is necessary to make a program happen. We know how much things cost. So if you're one of those that like just pads because you've got extra money, that looks bad. Also, I know some people who just they build their budget and then they just add 10% to every line item just in case things cost more. No, do your research on the front end and figure out the true cost. You're allowed to certainly take into account that, hey, this grant's due in a month. We probably won't hear about it for five months. And Mm -hmm. then by the time we go through our procurement process, it could potentially be a whole year before we start spending this. I get that prices go up and you may want to, you know, take that into account. But just to go through on everything and add like a straight 10% pad funders know what you're doing and then they realize you're not planning very well which is is not good as a grant person you should be a good planner and it's also a lot more than a standard cost of living increase absolutely in the nonprofit world now y'all may work in places where you regularly get 20 percent raises every year and if so please contact us at <laughs> fundraisingheyday.com exactly. um, and let us know how that works because we'd like in on some of that but yep. generally it, th- that's not the time to sort of add extra things no. and in the hopes that you might get it, even if you don't really need it. Exactly. And also, you may be keeping that money from someone else who really needs it. So, Absolutely. you know, sharing is caring. Exactly. One other, while we're talking about federal stuff, too, I want to throw out there um, that has to do with budgets is that dreaded word supplanting. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and basically, this is a federal world that basically means you cannot use federal dollars to pay for or replace 
things or activities you're already doing or you're supposed to be doing by law. So let me give you a quick example here. There is a fire grant called SAFER, the Staffing of Adequate Fire and Emergency Responders. You can fund firefighters with that. So let's just say my city has 60 firefighters on staff and I go for a grant to add five more. If I get that grant, I now have 65 firefighters. That is totally fine. I can do new programming, probably some safety things, all kinds of stuff I can do. Supplanting would be to go, awesome. Now that I have these grants for five people, I only need to pay for 55 because my that 55 plus my new five on the grant, that gets us back to 60, which mm. we currently have. That's all I really needed. And then I can use that money because we need to hire a um, police officer or two. I need somebody in Parks and Rec. Our city manager hadn't had a raise in a while, so we're going to bump him up. We need some equipment. Yeah, that is supplanting, and that is a big no-no. They will be asking you to pay money back if they catch you doing supplanting. On, a, on federal, on federal, on federal grants. level. Yeah, only, mm-hmm. That word only applies to federal Pretty grants. Much. So important to know about. And Speaking of things that are important to know about, you may have already guessed that when you're developing budgets, particularly in the final preparations, before you send them off into the great wide world of grant seeking, um, math is involved. And what? it's I know. <laughs> it's going to be okay. But I'm a grant writer, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Don't make me do math. Mm-hmm. That's what your calculator's for. Yes. Your little phone can be your friend. Just as sort of a final wrap-up on what to do, how to complete your budget, when you've got it in... It's great to build in beautiful Excel spreadsheets that I love formulas and have formulas and all of those kinds of things. But you know what? Just take it from me, and you can ask me how I know. You want to <laughs> add up everything at, by hand if needed and have yes. or have someone do it. Make sure everything adds up because somewhere, someone reviewing that proposal is going to do the same thing. Yes. Just add it up and check your numbers twice and you're going to be okay. Yes. Another thing that you might be able to do, and it's a good thing if you can, is a budget justification or budget narrative. All that is, is just another chance to tell your story. If you have a line item by line item budget for a grant, Oftentimes, for larger grants, larger agencies, they're going to want a budget justification, which is usually a separate form. They may give mm-hmm. you the form or tell you what, how they want it to look, and you're just able to explain. If you're hiring two FTE physical therapists, then you're and able FTE to... FTE stands for full-time equivalent in case... Oh, jargon again, alert. Yes, I know. yes. <laughs> The uh, two FTE physical therapists for your um, senior center to provide movement education. For for good health, yes. That's where you can describe it in maybe a sentence. You may have already talked about it. Well, you should have already talked about it in your proposal. But here's another chance to say, once again, we're going to be helping these little old people get better balance, better agility, and hopefully Mm -hmm. help them prevent falls, da-da-da-da-da. One or two sentences. Because a lot of time within your budget, you you can put the, I need a physical therapist, Mm -hmm. it's $35,000 a year, and then they're questioning, okay, but like... Where'd you come up with that number and how many hours are they working? And so that budget justification just gives you a way to just to describe more about what's in your budget and why. And as getting back to the example of FTE or full-time employee, maybe you're only hiring part-time. So you might say it's a 0.5 of an FTE working Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for eight hours a day. 
in this program. And that's a way that you can explain the program that may not fit in with the overall flow of your regular narrative for your proposal because it's super detailed. But again, you are also showing, hey, we've thought about this. Hey, Mm -hmm. we've done our research and we know know what we're talking about. We (laughs) know. Trust us, believe us, and fund us. Absolutely. So good budgets make good grants. And good grants, once awarded, can make the world a better place. And that's why we're here, right? Um, So just remember, plan ahead. Be sure to work with your program and finance staff so they can help you put things together. And when you make your budgets, you're going to check them twice. You're going to find out who's been naughty or nice. Absolutely. So, And always want to put your grant applications together with the mindset that you're going to be funded and that's going to be a good tool to help you manage it successfully. So that's why we're here. We're also here courtesy of our Season 1 sponsor, Grant Writing USA. For a special offer for our listeners only, visit their website, grantwritingusa.com backslash podcast. While you're there, you can check out their two-day courses taught in all 50 states. And remember, there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and many other ways to learn. We'd love for this podcast to be one of your favorite ways to learn. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including our next one about saying no to grants and when that's the right thing to do. Amen. Amen.